Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast. If you missed last week, make sure to go back and listen or watch last week's sermon because Chris gave us some updates on the progress of the Bridging the Gap projects and we announced that our church has a new name. That's right, we have a new name. Today is our official week as New Bridge Church and today we are launching a new series called Fear Not, Living Unafraid in a World Gone Mad. With all the craziness happening in our world today, it's easy to be afraid, but this series is designed to help us conquer that fear and live differently. Here's Chris with the first message of this series. Good to see you guys. Happy New Year. Welcome back. We are kicking off a new sermon series today. But before we do, in case you missed last week, uh, we went through all kinds of things to celebrate that God's doing. Um, And if you missed that message and you're a part of our church, I really encourage you to go watch that message online. Also announced that we are changing the name of the church. That's a small thing, but uh, we will be known as New Bridge Church from from here on out, and I will do my best. Woo, yeah, that's right. And I will do my best to say New Bridge and not Vineyard as I go through my message. So uh, old habits die hard, be patient patient with me. Um, Hey, one of the things we didn't get to celebrate last week that I want to share with you this this week. I got an email this week from Pastor Vu in Vietnam. If you're unaware, we have been partnering with Pastor Vu since about 2000, 2000 um, to train pastors, uh, underground church pastors in Vietnam. Vietnam's a communist country. Uh, Christianity is tolerated, but not very well. Uh, and so there's a good deal of persecution there. We have trained over as of as of now, we have trained over the last 20 years 200 pastors and launched over 100 churches. And uh, so, yeah, we just had a graduation. We just graduated a class uh, in northern Vietnam, north of Hanoi, right on the Chinese border. Um, and these guys are out planting churches. We have a couple pictures Vu sent. Um, these are the pastors and their wives. I love the outfits that the, the ladies are wearing, just traditional you know, they live out in the jungle. It's crazy, and we're a part of it. Guys, you're changing the world here, near, and far away. We're involved everywhere, but you need to know you're a part of that, have been a part of that for a very long time, and um, yeah, and please be praying for Vietnam. So there's that. Okay, well, we're kicking off a new series today. It's called Fear Not, Living Unafraid in a World Gone mad. And the reason we decided to do this series is because just, you know, you just look around and it's because it becomes very plain very fast that anxiety is on the rise. Uh, fear level is high. COVID amped all that up, but that seemed to be going on pre-COVID. COVID certainly made it a little, little more significant. And I can't tell you how many times over the last year I've heard people say, it just feels like everything's upside down, like the world's unraveling. And that's fear-inducing. That creates anxiety. Um, and during COVID especially, but even, even since, sometimes you'll hear people going around, you'll hear well-meaning Christians going around, well, you shouldn't be afraid. You should have faith over fear. Um, and, um, and although that is true, although it, it, as we learn to walk with God and, and walk in the Spirit, we will find a peace that passes understanding those statements can come off a little bit judgy, and they can come off um, they can come off in a way that is not helpful. Add to that that we live in a day and age where people are experiencing a phenomenon I call physiological anxiety. Many of you have probably experienced that, 
where you're not worried about anything in particular, but all of a sudden it feels like you're having a heart attack, you know? There's, a, there's an anxiety thing going on, and people, they still don't even understand exactly why. There's nothing specific you could point to. A lot of, a lot of people are saying maybe it has to do with all the chemicals and stuff in our food supply, or maybe it has to do with overstimulation with digital input, and our bodies weren't wired for that. There's a lot of different theories. But it doesn't really help somebody who's struggling with panic to say, well, you shouldn't be afraid, you should have faith, all right? And so I want to level the playing field here right out front and just say, look, here at Newbridge Church, it's okay to not be okay. If you're struggling with fear or panic, I'm glad you're here. I hope you come back. You know, my goal is that we walk uh, forward together with the Lord out of fear and in a way that we can overcome it. Guys, over the last 50 to 75 years, we have gone from a God-honoring culture to an anti-God culture. And as Christians, that's very upsetting. That's very discouraging. That's almost fear-inducing. And I think for a lot of people, um, the changes that we have witnessed over the last 50 years at breathtaking speed are the source of a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the concern and a lot of the fear. We've gone from a truth-based culture in 50 to 70 years, from a truth-based culture to a culture that has no truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. There's no bedrock to build a society on. That's very disconcerting, especially if you grew up in a society that had that bedrock. We've gone from a moral culture, not a perfect culture, and there was definitely immorality, but by and large, a moral culture to an immoral culture. We've gone from a Christian culture to a post-Christian culture. We've gone from a culture that trusts in our institutions to one, because of experience, we, nobody trusts any institution anymore. Things have changed, and they've changed rapidly, and we're all experiencing it a little bit differently. You know, if you're older than I am, I'm a Gen Xer, the greatest generation. Just kidding. The greatest generation was before the boomers. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer, but if you're older than me, you lived in that other world. You, you experienced what that was like, and then you have watched it in front of your eyes kind of unravel into something that's almost unrecognizable. If you're my age, you've got a foot in both worlds. You've lived this disintegration, this this unraveling of culture. And if you're younger than me, it's just the water that you swim in. It's just, it's just the way it's, it's kind of always been, but you're living with the consequences of that. You're living with the skyrocketing suicide rates and anxiety and depression rates and addiction rates and everything else that is impacting your generation. We're all experiencing it a little bit differently, but we're all experiencing it. And it feels like the foundations of our culture have been pulled out from under us. And indeed, they have. Now, that would be fear-inducing enough all by itself, right? But you add to that the fact that groceries have seem seemingly doubled in price over the last couple of years, or inflation rate, am I going to have enough money to pay for everything? The people who predicted the last pandemic are predicting the next pandemic. Our government is being run by people who don't know how to balance a checkbook. 
asking questions like, will I be able to retire? Will, will I have a life? Will my kids and grandkids get to experience the, the level of blessing that I have? Will I get married? Will I not? Oh, and will the world catch on fire in the next 12 years and burn to the ground because of global warming or climate change or whatever they're calling it today? Now, I'm not going to speak to the other things. I do want to speak to that because I have a degree in environmental studies. I studied all this stuff back, uh, back in the day, and uh, I'm here to tell you the world is not going to burn down in the next 12 years. You can mark that up. Just stop worrying about that. It's going to be fine. All right. But if you deal with fear and anxiety... There's a lot of good reasons to deal with fear and anxiety. There's a lot to be afraid of. I totally understand. If you don't, don't worry. Life happens. There, there will be things in the future, you know, whether that's a kid making bad decisions or a diagnosis that scares you to death, financial realities imploding on you. Again, I'm not here to judge you. It's okay to not be okay. I'm here to help us walk out of this, to live above what's going on around us and to live unafraid in a world gone mad. So that's what we're going to look at over the course of this series. Um, today, I want to, the, the title of this message is When the Wheels Come Off. Uh, and, and for our text today, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, Daniel is uh, in the middle to the, the, the back or the front of the uh, Old Testament. He's one of the major prophets. Um, Daniel's an interesting guy. He, was, uh, he lived in the, uh, the kingdom of Judah about 2,600 years ago. Now, to understand the kingdom of Judah, I'm going to give you a little bit of history here real quick. There was Israel, right, the kingdom of Israel. King David uh, was the king, and then Solomon. And then after Solomon uh, was the king, his son, Rehoboam, was not a very good king. The kingdom split. And so for a long period of time, you had the northern kingdom of Israel, and that was 10 tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which was two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Those two tribes made up uh, the region around Jerusalem, and it was called Judah, right? So by the time we get to Daniel, that's the reality. The northern kingdom has been scattered. Those tribes have been scattered. And so what's left is Judah, really, as the people of Israel, the people who are trying to follow God to some extent, although their leaders are not doing a great job of that, not at the moment anyway. Daniel's part of the royal family, royal court, somehow, we don't know exactly how, and he's about 16 years old when the events that we're about to read about happen. And what happens is there is a wicked, evil empire that is dominating the world at this point in time called the Babylonian Empire. King named Nebuchadnezzar comes to Judah and sacks the country kills a bunch of people, and drags a bunch of people off into captivity and exile in Babylon. And Daniel is one of the people who is carried off. Now, just so you know, Babylon is the word picture in Scripture, Old Testament, all the way into the book of Revelation. If you want to know what evil is, say the word Babylon. It is the, the metaphor for what evil is. It's a very wicked, evil, godless 
people, country, whatever. And so Daniel is ripped from a country that is supposed to be Godward. Daniel is definitely a devoted follower of God, and, and, um, and he's taken to a country that is completely the opposite, completely like it's like all the, the, all the social, moral, cultural, societal fabric has unwound overnight for him. Many of us feel like Daniel. The world fell apart around him and went dark, and he's living in the real-world consequences. So Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be today, and um, we're going to learn some things from our friend Daniel. It says this, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, uh, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. It's a really bad situation. Really bad situation. I mean, can you imagine what Daniel is experiencing? He's 16 years old at this point in time. His God's people are overrun by the personification of evil itself. Many people are murdered, and they're carried off hundreds of miles away to a land that is so foreign, so wicked, and he's forced to live there. Let me ask you, does Daniel have reason to despair? Say yes. Okay. Does he have reason to fear? Yes. Does he have reason to be angry? Yes. Absolutely. All those things. And to add insult to injury, they grab all the holy implements of worship out of God's temple, and they take them as a mockery back to the temple of Baal and put them on display for, pe for people to see, oh, look, their God's not as good as our God. That would, make, that would make me angry. But I want you to notice in verse 2, who delivers them into King Nebuchadnezzar's hands? I'll read it for you. It says, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands along with the articles from the temple. Now, I, God's going to use... Babylon to wake up his people because by and large they're they're doing things they shouldn't be doing they are not obeying God they're not worshiping there's always a remnant I believe Daniel was part of that remnant of people who were devoted to God and worshiping him but the the nation had turned and gone in the wrong direction and God was going to use this wicked kingdom to wake up his people he had a plan he was still in control even in the midst of something so terrible. And guys, one of the things we have to keep in mind at all times is that God is in control of who is in control. God is in control of who is in control, even if it's not your choice or the person that you would prefer. And he will use these wicked people to correct his people and wake them up and bring them back in line and on track but it's so important when things aren't going our way to remember that God is still in control. He's still working all things for good. 
Then in verse 3, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. All right, this is not atypical. In fact, this is pretty typical when these empire, in the, this era of empires, when one empire would conquer another, the Assyrian Empire comes in after the Babylonian Empire, and we could go through a whole history lesson there. But what they would do is they would grab the smartest, wisest people and uh, from their, the, the nation that they're conquering, and they would bring them in, they would train them, and they would use them in service of the king for advice and, and just to raise the level of leadership in the nation. So that's what's going on here. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the official gave them new names. So he renames them with Babylonian names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. If the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ring a bell for you, it's because it's one of the stories we tell in Sunday school to the little kids. about. So these guys were all contemporaries with Daniel. This was like a little small group of four of them. And they were in this together. These guys, and I encourage you to read the book of Daniel. If you get a chance this week, read the book of Daniel. It's, it's a fantastic read. But these guys are thrown into a fiery furnace, and God rescues them because they refuse to bow down and worship a statue of the king. Okay, so they, these, and, and what we're about to see is with Daniel as well, there, there are things that they will not do. They have, a red, they have red lines they will not cross. They will not disobey God. But they're doing it differently than so many of us. All right. So Daniel is, is ripped from his homeland. His name is changed from Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belshazzar which means Baal's prince. Baal is their demon god. He is named to honor a demon. Should he be offended? Could he be offended? He could be. He He's a devout follower of God. He's dragged hundreds of miles away from home to the most wicked place on earth. He's conscripted into the service of a wicked king. He's forced to study their culture and their religion, which is all built around the occult, and astrology, and witchcraft, and sorcery, which is offensive to the Jewish people. God makes it very clear that they are not to practice these things. Add insult to injury, they would have all been turned into eunuchs as well. You know what that means? So here's why. Because if you're going to bring the brightest and the, the best and the most um, physically strong young men into the king's court, which is full of his harem, you need to make sure that there's none of that going on on the side. So they castrated these boys. I'm going to ask it again. Does Daniel have a reason to be 
disoriented, to be fearful, to be angry, to wonder what the point is, does he? Yeah, more so than us today? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And in addition to all that, the king wants them to eat the food from his table. Now, the reason this is an issue is because God had given the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, he had given them dietary laws. Jesus has set us free from the dietary laws of the Old Testament, but Daniel would have been fully under this law and practicing this law. And there are things that he wasn't allowed to eat that were all over the king's table. And so this would have been for him a red line. He would have been breaking God's law to eat the diet of the king. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So the official, Daniel, has favor with the official. He likes Daniel. Which tells me Daniel wasn't being a jerk and being an angry, angry guy around, the, around this guy. But he's not willing to stick his neck out and risk Daniel and his friends not, not looking healthy because they're not eating the king's diet. So Daniel gets mad and yells at the man. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. It says, then Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, so uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. I want you to underline the word, please. If you got your Bible open, underline the word please there. Test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. He figured 10 days, they're not going to see the king for months. We'll be able to get them fattened back up and everything will be fine. Um, at the end of the 10 days... They looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now, some of you are like, yuck. This is not an argument for vegetarianism. This is an argument for obeying God and God being faithful in sustaining them as they do, as, as they do choose to obey him. Eating food that violated God's law was a red line for them. They weren't going to do it. But I want you to go back to that word, please. They weren't going to be a jerk about it. When the first guy said no, they just went to the next guy and said, hey, let's do a little experiment, please. He humbly asked, and he humbly asked again. He didn't get a chip on his shoulder. He wasn't trying to be angry and offended. Guys, one principle that you can live by is that respect is far more effective than anger. Respect is far more effective than anger. My uncle has, has told me over and over for years and years, you will catch more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. 
and it's true. Daniel had every reason to be afraid. Fear leads to anger and go down that road. But he doesn't. He chooses to go in the direction of respect. Yoda said it best. He did. Mm -hmm. And he said, fear leads to anger. Anger to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And that's the road we go down. That's the natural road we go down when we're afraid. Daniel and his friends go in the opposite direction. Just a friendly observation on our world today. There's a lot of angry people. Just watch how people drive. There's a lot of angry people whose fuses are really short right now. And maybe you're one of them. And you have a choice. And I'm telling you, going down the angry, hateful, suffering road will not win the battle. It will not accomplish God's purposes, and it will bring suffering upon you. And so for many of us, this point in the message, maybe a heart check. How's your anger level? All right, verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. What were they, li- what were they learning? Astrology, witchcraft, sorcery, all kinds of things that they knew as, as God followers they were not supposed to be participating in. They were not to practice those things. But it's interesting that they drew the line on the food, but they didn't draw the line on this because, and I think it's because There's a difference between being forced to study it and practice it. They chose not to get offended, and they rose to the top of their class in these these things with understanding. It says that, oh, where am I? At the end of, oh, yeah, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams. So Daniel's given this supernatural endowment of power that doesn't come from the occult, it comes from God Almighty, to be able to interpret dreams and visions, and it makes him more useful, more more wise than all the other enchanters and people who are part of the king's court and all the other wise men that were there. But Daniel stays faithful to God, and so do his friends. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Because it's one thing to be twice as smart as everybody else, ten times as smart as everybody else. That's a God thing. God blessed their faithfulness in the midst of this very difficult situation. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So that's about 70 years that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. The Assyrian Empire comes in, conquers the Babylonian Empire, and then we have King Cyrus comes in after that. And Daniel is an advisor to King Cyrus as well. Crazy. He finds favor with these people 
who are so different and by our standards, wicked. So what can we learn from Daniel? Well, I have five things for us today, real quickly. How to overcome fear and change the world, because that's what Daniel did. There's probably 15 things in here, but I'm going to give you five. And the first one is this. You have to remember that God is in charge of who is in charge. I told you that would come back. You have to remember that. You know, if your, if your guy or gal lost the last election or loses the next one, God's in charge of who's in charge. If God, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to rule, yeah. It says in verse 2, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. The Lord steers things. The apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 13, about the Roman Empire, which is another pagan violent empire that it was oppressing God's people. And in, in Romans 13, it says, let, he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except that which God has established. The, th the authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, they might not be benevolent authorities. They might not be working in our best interest, but ultimately God is, and he will use whatever is going on at the time to accomplish his greater purpose. He's going to work all things for good. Might not be today, might not be in my lifetime, but God has a plan and God is in charge of who's in charge. Do you believe that? Stop complaining. No, I'm just kidding. I've been alive for, well, my friend Lloyd, as he would say, all my 53 years. In all my 53 years, I have watched a lot of elections come and go. And you know what? Every one of them has been the most important election of my lifetime. Anybody else starting to catch on to that? <laughs> Just saying. God's in charge of who's in charge. Now, does that mean we, we check out and we don't participate? No, we have the blessing of living in a representative republic where we get to have a say and we get to be involved in the process, and we should be. As, as Christians, we, sh we seek to influence the culture around us as best we can. But at the end of the day, Win or lose, God's in charge of who's in charge. We don't have to stress about it. We don't have to brood about it. We don't have to get wrapped around the axle because things aren't going the way we think they should be today. little perspective. If God's in control, that means you're not. This takes a lot of weight off, guys. It takes a lot of weight off. God has a plan, he'll accomplish it. Second, keep a long-term perspective. Guys, we live on a seven-minute timeline, maybe seven days, but not much beyond that. We have been conditioned to, to think everything is right now. Daniel is living on a 70-year timeline toward, to eternity. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus, 70 years. Guys, when you live on a seven-day timeline, when somebody takes your parking spot at Kroger's, it's on. It's like the worst thing that could possibly happen. Or you lose your job. The world's coming to an end. 
But when you live on a 70-year timeline or an eternal timeline, even better, setbacks are setbacks. They're not the end of the world. And this is part of the wisdom of age. This is why people who are older tend to mellow a little bit because they've seen more. They, the, the, the timeline, it might not be eternal, which is where we want to get to, but it's, a, it's longer, and, and that's part of the wisdom that comes with age if you're learning as you go. But here's the deal. God works on a 70-year to eternity timeline. God was going to accomplish what he was going to accomplish through Daniel. Daniel was going to have influence. Daniel was going to, to bring revival to this country a couple different times through these guys. And ultimately, God was going to orchestrate world history to bring us to this point here today where we're all sitting here. And Daniel played a part in all of that. But it's a longer timeline. But for us, it's hard to get out of, what about now? What about, you know? Here's just a little, little tip for you. Spiritual superpower, develop an eternal perspective. Live on that timeline. Because once, once you make that shift in your brain, once you make that shift in your heart, then the bumps in the road are just bumps in the road. But this is, and this is such a short period of time. Not these seven days, but these 70 years that we're here. And we're a part of a bigger story. And I think part of the problem that we deal with today is that we are told over and over and over again that we are the center of the universe. Our story is the center of the universe. And it all takes place in seven days. Or 30 minutes if you're watching a miniseries. So... There will be bad days. You're not always going to get your way, but God's in charge. And ultimately, there's a bigger story being written that you're a part of. And you get to choose whether you're going to play your part or not. Number three, remember who wins in the end. This changes everything. Now, I want to be 100% clear. According to the Scripture, God wins. According to the Scripture, because we're God's kids, if you're a follower of Jesus, you win. We win in the end. And this changes how you experience the game. My friend Jerry came to small group, this was a while back, and he had just he watched a game. It was an Ohio State game, I believe. I'm not going to rip on Ohio State today. I'm fully in favor of Ohio State, just to be clear. Um, recorded the game and was like, I'm going to watch it when I get home. He couldn't be there to watch it. And so he's like, I'm not going to find out the score, and I'm going to watch the game. Well, somebody slipped and gave him the score before he got to watch the game. So he goes home, he gets down in the man cave, turns on the game, turn, was watching it. Now, it's one of those games where, where it looks like they're going to lose, but they come back at the end and win. And, and what he was describing to our group was, and I just felt myself so unaffected by the fact that they were losing. I just sat there and kind of watched because I knew we won in the end. Like he said, normally, because I wouldn't be throwing things necessarily except a lot of words, but, you know, it, I get, it's an emotional roller coaster because you don't know how this thing is going to end and you're all on for the ride. But when you know what the end's going to be, you can just kind of sit back 
It's kind of like watching a movie that's based on history, and you know, oh, yeah, that, that's what happens. You don't get sucked in as much, do you? It doesn't affect you as much. You want to live without fear and anxiety. Remember, we win in the end, guys. Live above the emotion of the moment. Fourth thing, they chose to obey God, but they weren't a jerk. So obey God, but don't be a jerk. Obey God. Even in his fear, Daniel chose to obey God. He had lines he would not cross, but he wasn't a jerk, even though he had reason to be a jerk, to be offended, to be scared, and to go down that fear road. But he doesn't compromise. In verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. That's how I know he wasn't a jerk. He's not going to have... Nobody has favor and compassion from somebody that they're a jerk to. Don't be a jerk. Daniel, in verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief priest or the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, and again, we underlined please, please, don't be a jerk. Be kind, be respectful. Please test your servants for 10 days. Number five, become unoffendable. Become unoffendable. We get offended so easily, guys. We live in a culture of offense. And it creates all this drama and all this cortisol and all this stuff inside of us that makes us crazy. Become unoffendable. Daniel was forced to watch the sacred worship elements be carried off and put into a demon temple. He was forced to study the occult. He was castrated. He was forced to live among demon worshipers. And he doesn't get a chip on his shoulder, does he? He becomes the most likable, respected person there. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Make no mistake, Daniel doesn't disobey God. He doesn't compromise in the midst of all of this. He's not studying the occult to become an occultist. He's studying it because he's forced to study it, and he becomes, he learns more about it and is more learned about it than the people who are studying it to practice it. But he keeps his heart on God, and he's not afraid of it. Is it offensive? Of course it is. But he chooses not to get offended. He doesn't get offended for himself, and this is super important. He doesn't get offended for God. I think sometimes we like go around like we have to defend God and be offended for God. Like God's got big shoulders. He can handle it, guys. You don't have to go around correcting people because you're offended for God. You know, when people take God's name in vain or, or wax poetically with words that you might not use, it's not helpful to go around going, you know what, I'm really offended. You need to not talk that way around me.
God can handle it. He's aware. He's heard worse. And he can deal with them. I don't need to get offended for him. It's not my job. And I certainly don't need to defend him. He can defend himself. I'm commanded to not talk that way. Right? And if I have a Christian brother or sister that I'm close to, and they are, and they're going down that road, certainly we can have a a gentle conversation about that. But I'm not going to go around correcting other people. I'm not going to expect people who aren't followers of God to act like followers of God. And God doesn't need me to correct them. He will get a hold of them in his time. Guys, at the end of the day, at the end of the sermon, fear has so much to do with our sense of control. It really does. And when we feel like we don't have control, we become fearful. But ultimately, when you surrender control to God, when you're leading your life into His control, not yours, then He's got you, regardless of what comes. When you live on His timetable, when you remember that we win in the end, when you choose to obey Him without becoming obstinate and self-righteous in the process, And when you become unoffendable, the anxiety unwinds inside of you. You live a different way. You walk out of the fear that our world is walking in. And you can live a life with the peace that passes understanding. Some people would tell you, well, that happens like that. And sometimes there's a peace that will come over you like that. But sometimes... This is a process we walk out. And that's why we're doing this series over the next 10 weeks. And I want to invite you to come along. I also want to invite you to find a small group or a life group if you've not found one yet. Because part of what made Daniel and and the boys so unstoppable in the midst of this is they had each other. If they were alone, it would have been really hard. And the same thing is true today. All people need people. You need people around you who are encouraging you spiritually to follow God. And that's a superpower too. So if you haven't signed up for a small group or a life group yet, you can sign up today in the lobby. You can sign up on your Connect card. We'll have um, programs out there with all the groups. They're going to be starting up here in a week or so. And you want to be a part of that. All right. Really comes back to surrendering control, doesn't it? Surrendering control to God. And I just want to give us an opportunity real quickly as I close this message. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you have not surrendered control of your life to God, or maybe you have and you've taken control back, today's your day. And I just want to invite you to pray something along these lines. Say, God... I want you to be in control. Jesus, I believe you came and conquered death on the cross and and that, God, you are are all-powerful, that you're in control of who's in control, God, that the, the timeline I'm living on is yours, not this short little period here. 
And so, Lord, I, I just surrender my control issues to you today. I ask that you would come by your Spirit and live in my heart. And you'd wash away my sin. Forgive me where I haven't trusted you and where I have held on with a death grip to, the, to control in my life. Forgive me. And God, I pray that you would walk me out of, out of a place of fear, out of a place of anger, and into a life that reflects your love and joy and peace, regardless of what's going on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.